dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. A lot of people expect leadership to go smoothly. And when it doesn't, they think that they've done something wrong. This can, of course, be true. But is it always this way? Well, how do we lead a suffering and tragic situation? Simon Peter shows us in the Acts of the Apostles, giving us a great example. Hi, everybody. I want to go ahead and start with a prayer We've got an amazing uh, talk here I want to share with you, just looking at Simon Peter's leading of a suffering church. And so I, I want to just ask the Holy Spirit for his guidance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the spirit, same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're all here today because we know in our hearts that God is calling us to make an impact on the world. And I want to say something right off the bat because a, a lot of you say to yourselves, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here for leadership. I'm here to learn how to become a leader, you know, supposedly, but maybe that's not really my call. So sometimes people are saying, well, like I'm just a mom, you know, first of all, I think like you should think more highly of yourself than just saying, I'm just a mom. If I hear another woman say that, I'm like, mothers happen to be so important that even God wanted one. All right. <laughs> so please don't say I'm just a mom. You're insulting every mother in the world, including the mother of God. You know, it's, it, I mean, even God has a mother. Right? So mothers are incredible and mothers are called to be leaders, leaders in the domain of culture. It's not because you have a fancy title or a position that has monetary significance behind it that you are a leader. It's, it's amazing to me the number of people that think that they, they say, I'm just a mom or they say, you know what? I'm just a blue collar worker. Same thing, like be careful, you just insulted St. Joseph, you know, you, you, and Jesus Christ himself, right? He was the son of a tecton. Tecton in Greek is the word meaning the, the man or the, the, the person who builds the, the roofing substrata. So just like a roof sits on uh, the, the, a framework, the tecton is the one who builds that framework. So Christ was not just a, like some sort of carpenter building cabinetry. He was a carpenter, meaning he put the roofing structure on houses, 
So this was a, a hard laborer type. So what do you mean I'm just a blue collar worker? People will find all kinds of excuses to say that they're not leaders. But I'm sorry, folks, my vision for leadership in, is that of Christ. And that is that every single one of his baptized faithful are called into the role of leadership because you have been baptized at, into Christ who is priest, prophet, and king. And that leadership that you exercise there is part of the dominion, the dominium that he has entrusted to you as one of his baptized faithful. So the question is not to say, you know, am I a leader? The answer is yes, you are. And so I'm here to, to address all of you to, to fan into a flame that ember of leadership that's in your soul that was put there at your baptism. And it's just that you're going to lead, obviously, in different ways. Some folks are going to lead in terms of business. Some folks are going to lead. And so I like to use a lot of the business examples because no one else seems to want to use those examples, right? Like the poor folks who are engaged in business who are actually making this economy go around, making our whole world go around, end up being completely ignored by, you know, by the church in many ways. And I just don't want that to happen. I, I want the, them to hear the voice of the church speaking up. But it's not just for business people. Okay, this is this this is for you in your families, because the vision of Christ for leadership extends far beyond your business. It, it actually begins in the home. And so the home begins in prayer. And so from spirituality arises the family leadership in terms of you becoming a daughter and a son of God in, in front of him in prayer will will first have its effect in your family where you create that correct hierarchy of values with your children and your spouses and then that character formed in the family will blossom forth into effectiveness in society in the world of economy and the different realms that we have direct authority over okay so that vision of leadership is important because what I'm going to talk about with you today is looking directly at the suffering that sometimes we need to lead through, right? And so St. Peter in the Acts of the Apostles gives us an example. I mean, we see in his life uh, the leadership of a suffering church and how he led in those crisis moments that the church went through right at the beginning of his leadership became determinant uh, for him and, 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 and show us an example of how we too need to, to lead when those whom we lead carry a heavy cross. Right? This I think is very reassuring because first point I'd like to make with you today is that leadership is not as glorious as it appears in all of the books that we read about it. <laughs> I want to give everyone the permission to take just a deep breath and realize that if you are trying to lead, then you are leading. Leadership is not a question of, of success in, in terms of its output. Leadership is in terms of its input. It's determined by those who try. Why? Because the definition of leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Very simple. Do I weigh and do I put into, in, into a sphere of my life an influence bringing people towards 
something that is attracting me? How do I influence other people? So the study of leadership isn't a matter of of economy or budgeting or strategy. The study of leadership is a question of learning how to make the best influence on people in the most effective and strongest way possible. And if that's the case, well, then I need to accept the fact that it's not about whether or not all kinds of people follow me and I succeed in my projects. I might not be a great project manager, but I can be a terrific leader. Now, obviously, when the two are together, you, you make for a really uh, impactful leadership on a wide scale. But sometimes God isn't calling us to be impactful on a wide scale. Sometimes what he wants is just that drill down laser effect of the influence that we're going to have on our one child, our autistic son, our third one in the family. You know, I mean, like, we, the goal here is to realize that all of us are called to strive and to work towards our leadership and that that means it's going to be imperfect and that means it's going to be ineffective in many times in many places in our lives. And it's not because it's not perfect that we have the permission to quit. On the contrary, if your leadership isn't perfect, you have permission to try and to try again and to keep on trying because you are a hero because you're on the field trying to make it happen. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So let's take a look here at Simon Peter, right? Because you think, man, if anyone's going to be a perfect leader, it's going to be the first pope, right? I mean, he was chosen by Christ. He had three years where he lived side by side with the word incarnate, right? So if anyone's going to nail this, it's going to be Peter. He was the, the viceroy of the king of kings, right? So the king of kings was walking on this earth, doing everything. And the, the one person that the king of kings was investing the most in was Simon Peter. And so you're just like, now let's watch Simon Peter demonstrate to us just how perfect his leadership is. And then what you find is that he is imperfect in his leadership. And maybe therefore, if Simon Peter, Saint Peter, could himself be imperfect in his leadership, maybe it's okay if you're imperfect in yours too. Right? So don't give yourself the permission to quit something just because you're not the perfect person to, at the job. It's not a question of being perfect. It's a question of being loving and being faithful to the call of Christ to strive and to try, okay? Where do we see like an imperfection? Well, you see imperfections in terms of how Simon Peter like actually leads. There's different things that where, you know, you're kind of like, he kind of dropped the ball on that one, right? And we can, we can look at those. But there's also an imperfection just in the fact that he is asked to lead in a very difficult moment in the church's history. And that very difficult moment begins with the stoning of St. Stephen. I mean, I think like in the life of a leader, one of the most tragic moments is going to be when someone that you're leading dies under your watch and dies because of the project that you've begun. Anyone who's had to go through that, I'm sure can bear witness to it as a harrowing experience. 
Think of the, the officers in the army who, whose men die because of their orders that they received and that they gave to them and that the men underneath them gave their lives for, right? Or you think of, of the various uh, situations in law enforcement where men have died because of the job that they were doing. And here you're looking in, in Acts, Simon Peter makes a convert called Stephen and he forms Stephen in the faith and the other deacons in the faith. And then he empowers those men to go out and to preach in, in, in his name. And this is what happens. Simon, St. Stephen is out there entering into debates to spread the gospel. And suddenly St. Stephen is stoned for it. That means that he's killed in a violent fashion. The crowd dragging him outside of the city and throwing stones at him until he's literally in pieces lying on the ground. And Peter was not the one to die. It was Stephen. And right after that, a persecution begins, Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So that's like all of a sudden on that very day, Simon Peter sees not only the death of Stephen and has to console his grieving mother. That must have been quite a scene. But then on top of it, on that day, there arose a persecution and they were all scattered. That means he had families that were now displaced, men who lost their jobs, who had to flee for the name of Christ, where? To other people that they knew who was arranging this, who was taking care of them, who was dealing with stolen property from their houses. Did Simon Peter feel responsible for this? Could he have not stopped Stephen from engaging in this debate? Could he have not stood up to the high priest at the time and, 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 and somehow intervened? Could he have, there, I mean, you could imagine all of the things that were going through his brain. What could I have done to stop this? And then under my watch, Things are going poorly. Up until this time, everything was going great. Every, he had, the church was in full expansion. Every time he turns around, even when he's, he himself is suffering, man, it, it turns into a blessing. The, the Christian community is abounding. And then now all of a sudden, everything gets ripped out from underneath him. There arose a great persecution on that day. Suddenly, without warning, not only is Stephen stoned, but Saul enters into a great persecution. They were all scattered. That's, look at the drama there. Devout men buried Stephen that same day. That must have been a, an amazing scene. Was Simon Peter even able to be there? They made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He, ent he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Think about that. Men and women. It wasn't just the men, but men, men and women. Wait a second. That means not only did Christians lose their jobs, but, but children lost their mothers. That means all of a sudden the grand, grandparents had to be somehow involved. They had to, the kids had to be shifted off. Were there kids that were left orphans? We don't know. What happened to the children? We don't know, but we know that that became a sudden problem. We're talking about at least 5,000. The last update that Acts the Apostles gave us were that the Christians are numbering 5,000. So that's 5,000 people. That's 5,000 families. And Saul is attacking from the moment of the, of the stoning. He sets off and goes into house after house, arresting them. 
the, the drama of this situation and where's the leadership? You know, what does Peter do at that moment? Verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That, that, that's just amazing. That shows you the, the dedication of the spirit within the Christian community. But what I want to focus in on is the, the, the stress that that must have produced on Simon Peter and his response to it. The Acts give us, of course, a couple of different stories here. Uh, the, the fact is God uses that scattering for his blessing. The church goes down to Samaria. St. Philip ends up converting Simon the magician. And then all of Samaria ends up being believed. And John, John and Peter go down, lay hands on them. The Holy Spirit's given to Samaria. Then Philip goes over the Ethiopian eunuch, gets converted, and then Saul himself becomes converted. So there ends up becoming a triumph through this, right? But it's a triumph that happens amidst great suffering. The church in Jerusalem has to undergo this trial in order for that victory to take place. What does Peter do when things get messy? And it's, it's really amazing because I think that this insight is true for us. It, the panic that happens in most of our lives as leaders in our various spheres of influence is that when things get messy, everybody tends to point their finger at us and say, it's your fault. I'm, a, I'm astounded by this. When things are going well, it's everybody else's, everybody else's uh, credit, right? It's like, well, it wasn't you. It was your team. Your team was just amazing, you know? And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, where would I be without my great team, you know? But when things go wrong, it's the leader's fault. When things go right, it's the team to the team's credit. And when things go wrong, it can't be the team. And if the leader says it's the team, people all kind of like just, you know, they kind of smirk and they're like, no, 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 we all know, you know. And that means as the leader, you don't get the credit and neither do you get the, the you don't get the glory and you get all the blame. <laughs> I guess you get some of the glory, you know, to be honest with you. When your house is clean, the children are all clean and well-behaved, people tend to think, oh man, that's just wonderful, you know. And then if you're the dad, you're like, well, it's not me. It's everything goes back to my spouse, you know, and it's the same thing. And then if you're the, the wife, like, it's not me. I would be without my husband. We share the glory, but the blame we take for ourselves. And when you get into that, that habit, that way of being, when tough times come, the temptation to quit becomes stronger. What if you could flip that on your head and say, even for Simon Peter and for St. Peter, the days were not all rosy for the church. In fact, we have to lead not just in glory, but sometimes we have to lead in trial. And that's a, that's a, a test of true leadership. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Leading in, in trial, leading in suffering, leading through hard times, calls upon us to show a twofold resiliency. This is what we see in St. Peter. What are the two things that St. Peter did during this crisis moment? Going back again, Acts chapter 8. Big crisis moment for the church, right? The, 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 the church is being ravaged, literally. It's the word that's used by St. Paul 
Right before he was St. Paul, he was Saul. He was Saul the persecutor. Not only did he breathe murderous threats against Christians, but he was on his way in Jerusalem, but he was on his way to Damascus. Damascus, everybody, is a three days journey. He already arrested Christians in, in Jerusalem. He arrested men and women going from house to house such that all in Jerusalem were scattered. Right? So this guy was effective, systematic, ruthless, and breathing murderous threats. So St. Paul was no saint at this point in his life. On the contrary, he was moved perhaps by a religious sentiment, but what he was doing was wreaking havoc throughout the Christian community, of which St. Peter was the head. So if you were to imagine what St. Peter was thinking when he'd go to bed at night, I'll tell you what he was thinking. He was thinking about Saul. His number one problem was this persecution going on, and it was a big one. Well, what does the Bible show us that, how does St. Peter react to this as a leader? He does two things. The first line that you find is in verse 1 of chapter 8 of the Acts of the Apostles, where it says, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, isn't that amazing? The apostles stay at their post. First point of leadership in time of trial is that you do not abandon your post under the guise that somehow you are the cause of the problem. The problem will not always be solved, right? By a, by a leadership that runs away. Now, if in fact a leader is the real cause of the problem, that, that's, that obviously means he needs to distance himself or herself from the situation. That's not a, that's, that's what, but when it's not, and that's, there's a discernment that has to be done there. Are you really the cause of the problem? Or on the contrary, did the problem happen on your watch for one way or the other, which means you're the exact person who's supposed to be there at this time and place to deal with the problem. The problem is not having a problem, everyone. The problem is having a problem with having problems. <laughs> you can write that one down. Take that one to the bank, right? That's a Father Nathan original. The problem is not the problem. The problem is having problems with having problems. That's the problem. <laughs> Because if you, you're always going to have problems, that's why you're the leader. The leader is there to deal with problems. Aren't we blessed to have you in that situation? Why do you keep saying that since there's problems, the first thing to do is chop off the head? No. That's the first thing to do is to heal the hand or heal the foot. You don't chop off the head because there's a problem in the hand. The reason you have a head is to help the hand. So you blaming yourself or allowing the natural criticism that everyone will always do whenever there's a problem, it always goes back to the leader and they say it's the leader's fault. You got to just swallow that. You got to take that in stride. You got to say exactly, you know what? This is my problem and I'm going to deal with that problem. The apostles stay put in Jerusalem. I think that's very eloquent about leadership. There is a crisis going on and we are staying exactly where we were supposed to be. We do not abandon our post. That gives us stability to everybody. That while they might be suffering 
And they might even be suffering because of choices that Simon Peter made. He could have held Stephen back. Why did he let Stephen go after the Hellenists? Stephen was appointed to wait on tables. Why did Peter allow his deacon to be going off and engaging in debate when his job was to be waiting on tables? It was a leadership decision. Peter let this happen. And because he let it happen, Stephen dies and the church is being ravaged. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was an act of God. But at the same time, like, what, how does Peter deal with that psychologically? He stays at his post, first point. Second thing that he does, not only does he play defense by maintaining his position and by doing what he can from his position, but the second thing that he does is he goes on offense. The church goes everywhere proclaiming. And when converts are made in Samaria, Peter goes down there to confirm them. It's an amazing scene. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. When they had given the word of God to Samaria, he's actually using this, this time frame in order to continue his mission. A leader stays in leadership, deals with the problems, but deals with the problems by keeping the organization focused on their mission. The mission of the organization, the mission of your family, the mission of your soccer team, it, it's not, it doesn't change just because you're having problems. Your mission doesn't become one of solving problems. Your mission has to stay focused on the goal outside of it. And you are the one to keep it on that focus. Simon Peter goes and pushes the church forward precisely at a time when many people would say, this is the moment to fall back in fear. We're overcome. We're being overrun, Peter. Saul is ravaging us. Change course. And Peter allows the suffering to take place. He obviously is full of compassion and tries to deal with his suffering church the best he can, but he does it as the leader. And I think it's amazing. He doesn't suddenly abdicate. He remains. And the second thing that he does is he blesses the growth. Ask yourself if Christ is not calling you to do the same. If you've got struggles going on in your families, if you've got struggles going on in your personal relationships, Maybe this is exactly why you were put on this earth, is to deal with those struggles in the name of Christ. The problem is not having problems. The problem is having problems with having problems. Change your attitude to be like that of Christ because he's given you this opportunity and this role. And he's given you this opportunity and this role so that you could bring peace in, and prosperity and success exactly there. You were made for this moment. Do not be afraid to exercise your authority to do good and to keep your, your group on mission and to keep pushing forward because that's how you show true leadership in time of trial. And that's how, just like Simon Peter, you glorify God. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.